On this week's episode of the High Impact Podcast, you're going to get introduced to a man by the name of Steve Gibbs, also known as Poser in the F3 world. Uh, This is a man we just met this past weekend at the Blue Ridge Relay when he was participating on our team through a connection through our brother Lowe's. Uh, Poser is an endurance athlete, scuba instructor, high school cycling coach, outdoorsman, most importantly, a father. Uh, a husband and a son and brother, and he's going to talk about lessons he learned from his dad, um, his journey through you know fitness and and health uh, throughout his life, and share a little bit about his um, philosophies on the work environment as well as having a good team um, and the leadership skills that he finds to be most important. So sit back and enjoy this episode with our brother Poser. Welcome to the High Impact Man Podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope. Gosh, seek transformational relationships. Now, what you're hearing from the culture is not right. Pick up the six, you know what I mean? But you never know who your six sometimes is. Stop being less. To help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Well, all right. Dial up and defib are back in studio. That's right. Yeah, we spent, as you know, from if you listened to the last episode, we recorded for the first time live from the Blue Ridge Relay. Hope you all enjoyed that. Got a little motivation to do something hard and challenge yourselves and do it with other guys. Uh, and one of those guys that we met is going to be our guest here tonight. Now we were, are recording uh, on September. What's this? The fourteenth. I think it's the 14th, yes, so Thursday night after we got back from the Blue Ridge Relay on Sunday. So it's uh, rather close to that, um, but uh, that's where we are in the chrono- chronological order of things. <laughs> and uh, Dial-Up, you recovered from the Blue Ridge? I know you are. I'm recovered, yeah. Actually, I, I got more sore after, uh, let's see, Monday. We, we had shake and bake in the morning, and, and uh, I just felt inspired to, to do something uh, on 9-11 that, that evening. So I went out and did uh, the equivalent of two uh, two climbs up the the towers so covering both twin towers uh, on the local stadium steps and using my 30 pound ruck and uh i, I felt like I had ice picks jagging my thighs uh, yeah the past two days uh, i think it was more the going back down the steps each time yeah to be able to climb back up that made it more sore than the actual climbing itself but so uh, it all great, those steps you had to go up you had to go down <laughs> that's right yeah but it was great beat that great beat down my wife went out she did a bunch of steps and a couple other packs from the group so it was a uh, it was good. It was good. Uh, a nice tribute, and just a uh, nice to kind of put a little time in and, and think about those events from twenty two twenty two years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. You had one other guy from our packs join you. Yeah. Yep. He, uh, he joined. Yeah. And one, yeah. And then uh, two nurse or uh, thin crust showed up as well, and he he did a mix of running and and steps as well. So had yeah. a couple couple guys show up and provide some support and encouragement. That's awesome. That's yeah. after uh, running Monday morning after getting back from the Blue Ridge Sunday night. He just keeps going, folks. All right. Well, my real name is Nevin Gorky. His real name is Troy Klinger. As you know, we're the hosts of the High Impact Man podcast. And our guest today, his real name is Steve Gibbs. He joined us uh, all the way from Arkansas, met us in Burnsville, North Carolina, where our house was for the Blue Ridge Relay. And uh, we had to traverse from there to get to the start line and then back there after, uh, from the finish line. But uh, when Steve showed up, uh, the team did a little mini beatdown to indoctrinate him into F3. So he did get an F3 name, which is Poser. And uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about uh, Steve uh, as uh, as we start this thing off before we introduce him. So Steve Gibbs is an endurance athlete, a scuba instructor, high school cycling coach, outdoorsman, father, husband, son, brother, and friend. Steve's been married to his wife, Latricia, for 25 years. 
Their son, Jalen, is a graduate student studying marine biology in Honduras. Their daughter, Ava, is an 11th grade math and science whiz and four-sport varsity athlete, including volleyball, soccer, cross-country, and track. Steve and his family live in Bentonville, Arkansas. He is a senior financial executive with almost 30 years of experience assisting publicly held retail and consumer products companies grow their businesses worldwide. Steve's career reflects a demonstrated track record in leading successful large-scale transformation initiatives, optimizing financial management processes in complex global business environments, system implementations, and executing M&A transactions in domestic and global markets. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Steve has <laughs> retired from corporate America and now serves on several public and private company boards. Uh, he received a Bachelor of Science degree from Florida A&M University and is a certified public accountant. His North Star goal is to be a happy, healthy, active, alert, and content nonagenarian. Now, we got to talk about that, right? Yeah. Uh, Steve likes to do hard stuff that challenges his mind and body in ways that everyday life does not, including 100-mile gravel grinders, 60-mile single-track MTB races, Ironman 70.3s, open-water swims, trail race, races, pickleball, and Ragnars. I'm, I'm sure pickleball is the hardest one there. I'm sure. Uh, he believes that a positive <laughs> mindset, fortitude, and being willing to fail in pursuit of your best performance is the key to success in business, sport, and life. Welcome to the podcast, Poser. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be here. He he might be the most uh, freshly minted F three guy that we've ever had on the show, right? Oh uh, like, yeah, literally, like less than a week, right? right? Less since than a he, week uh, since he got yeah. his name and become part of the part of the national. There you class. go. Look, I'm, I climb. I move fast. Man. That's right. I move fast. Everything, yeah. everything he does is fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, tell us, so you had, they did that mini beatdown and got your name. Tell everybody how you got your name. Yeah, so that's an interesting part and process on how you all do this, right? So, <laughs> um, and I'll, and I'll, you know, hopefully over the next hour or so, I'll tell you some very interesting things about my origin story and what I did, but I told one story mm-hmm. that happened once in my life, and that's what you guys kind of glommed on, right? An embarrassing moment right. where... I had a new job and uh, I was heading to my first board of directors meeting and generally in all my career, they're, they're about a day you wear a suit and you kind of present and you go home. Well, this particular company board meeting was for three days in the mountains in Vermont. And so I had to go to the, um, to the resort store and buy some more clothes for the meeting and, and, trying on some pants, I came out and there were some ladies outside and I said, ladies, I'm having to buy these pants. And I turned around and I said, how does my butt look? Mm-hmm. And they both said, hey, look, it looks fine. And I said, okay, well, it turns out that one of those ladies was the wife of the CEO of the company I just joined. <laughs> and that became apparent later on when I went to dinner and to my, you know, fright and to her delight, like I walked up and introduced myself as the new finance officer and she was the lady who had just who i had asked to check out my butt right and so <laughs> of course it all worked out because like what a, you become on 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 um forgettable when you kind of hit on the ceo's wife right yeah <laughs> and uh but it, it all worked out and so from that 
somehow you guys glommed on Poser, which I guess this is how it works, and I'm learning. Yeah, well, that was Lowe's. That was he. He chose that. He was. Uh, he's. But you that, didn't. You didn't defend it. You two stood there and kind of let him do it, right? <laughs> well, so I, I, I you, you know, I threw out Goggins because I think I know, but you weren't hard enough. And I know. Tells me something about you as well. I, I well, I, yeah, I've got to get a little more courage. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the way the you know that's the way it works. It, you know, everybody does it differently. There's no rules, but uh, usually the whoever leads the workout or the guy that br- eh is the fellow that comes in the F three gets to the final pick of the name. So there is a uh, little okay. bit of process there that we have. Yeah, yeah we're gonna stick with blame it on Lex. I got you. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. absolutely. All right, so Steve, tell everyone how old you are. I am fifty. So just into what we call the respect category, uh, you probably picked up on that. If you're 50 to 59, you're in the respect category. 60 to 69, yep. it's double respect and so on. So uh, I could tell you, this guy, he's built like Goggins, and he's uh, and he's an endurance athlete. So my Lord, I thought it was going to be Goggins. And I still call him Goggins once in a while. So It was, it was kind of funny. That we, you, you know, he, he does this like unveiling as he was starting each right. leg of the, of the PRR. <laughs> he'd, he'd be at the exchange zone waiting for the next guy to come in, and he's like, he's got this like, cloak right basically uh, <laughs> that's that's draped around them because he's running shirtless so he's staying warm and like as the handoff guy comes in and goes to slap the bracelet on like the cloak comes off for this grand <laughs> unveiling of poser as he as right. he heads off on his leg of the relay it was it was quite a sight and yeah. spectacle yeah and he's, he's got a great body man he's sculpted <laughs> so uh that yeah. was a good time yeah that boom. Was a good time. here i am ready to roll all right yeah, yeah. cool man so um tell us um we're going to, we're going to start at the beginning, but I want, I want to get into some of the things in your, in your story. And like I said, you could bring out whatever you want, but tell everyone like where you grew up, what that was like. Yeah, sure. So I, I like to call this the, the kind of origin story, right? So right. I grew up in Newark, Delaware, not too far from you guys. Um, and what I call a, um, you know, back then I would call it middle class, right? And, and I try to give people perspective on, on, you know, where I kind of, or how I kind of grew up, right? So I went to Disney World once, right? Once in my life, we went to Disney World, and we drove down there in a station wagon, right, in Delaware, right? So a pretty mm-hmm. long drive. Yeah. We took one family vacation a year, and it was to Jones Beach, and we stayed with friends. So that was kind of, and, and you know, lived in a 1,500-square-foot house in a suburb of, Newark's kind of a suburb of Wilmington, if mm-hmm. you will, um, my dad was a, uh, business owner and my mom was a accountant and, and I am sort of an accountant or a leader or was a leader of accountants. Um, great place. Newark, Delaware was a place where you got out on your bike as soon as the sun came up and you had your ass home when the streetlights came on. Right. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, if I'm 50, you know, I was kind of, doing that in the seventies and very early eighties, right? No mm-hmm. cell phones. Once you went out, there was no way to contact you. Right. You know, you had to kind of figure out what you did, how you ate. Cause you just kind of like, it's not how kids go now, right? <laughs> Where they can kind of have my American express card on her phone. and can go and have a seven course dinner. If she wants to right in the middle <laughs> of the day. Yeah. So that was really cool. And I think what it does and what makes me nervous is guys about kids today is, we just had to figure stuff out, right? You yeah, had to yeah. solve your own battles. You had to figure out your way out of crises. You had to 
get a drink out of people's water hose. Yeah. You had to figure out how to play baseball when you only had five on five and close right field and make yep. a pitcher's mound poison. There were so many things that we had to do <laughs> right. back then that I think helps us now as we navigate some of these things, but kind of our kids are, our kids are missing out on. Um, I really learned how to um, be a great worker and be a great leader um, working with my dad. So his business was called Gibbs Enterprises Firewood and Coal. And what he did was around the, in the 80s, the oil embargo, he kind of figured out, well, wow, oil prices are running. Like people are going to start burning wood. And so he started selling wood. Um, and look, wood is not easy, right? You got to get the tree. You got to cut it up. You got to split it. You got to stack it. Just kind of awful work. And, and I was 12 years old kind of doing that stuff every weekend if I wasn't, you know, doing sports or had a scouting camping trip. Um, and because I was the owner's son, I was generally the leader of whatever crew. And a lot of times it was the leader of men who were two, three, four times older than myself, right? And so when you are 12 years old and you weigh like 60 pounds, you learn how to influence. And that's a lifelong skill. Right. How to make somebody do stuff who can beat you up yeah. is a skill. Yeah. <laughs> How about it? Um, and so that was really good. And also kind of solving problems and, and riding in the truck with my dad, it was like just lessons all the time. Right. Um, Steve, you know, look a man in the eye so you can tell if he's telling the truth. Right. Mm -hmm. You can tell if he's listening to you. When you shake a man's hand, make sure he feels it. Right. Make sure he knows that you're serious. Um, always tell the truth, right? Telling a lie is going to make, isn't much worse, right? Mm -hmm. Take pride in your work, son. You know, a quart of wood is 16 feet long and you got to stack it. And no piece of wood is straight. And so we'd be working side by side and my pile would kind of start to list. And I would take a piece of wood and put it perpendicular and keep going. He's like, wait a minute, what are you doing? I was like, the, the pile's the pile's listing. He's like, no. He said, listen, this guy's going to come out three months from now and he's going to look at that and he's going to think we cheated him. So if it's not working, take it down and build it right, son. Like, do your work right because you don't know what somebody's going to think of when they come and look at it later and they don't know what they're going to tell somebody. Right. And so just lessons and lessons kind of riding around in the truck. I do this, um, I do this talk a lot with colleges and you know, different groups. Everything I learned about leadership, I learned from my dad before 17. It was all kind of basic stuff, but it's all stuff that's really important right now. Yeah, well, good, you know, the other, the, other way, the other way the man was brilliant is I think that all of that grueling work, and it was chopping wood. We, had, we sold coal, so we drove up to the mine and shoveled coals in a 50-pound bag. Well, if you're a 60-pound kid, moving a 50-pound bag is pretty hard, yeah. right? Um, we removed snow. We cut grass. Like, everything was labor. Like, I've dug more ditches than um, anybody I can think of. And so I was like, this is ridiculous, man. Working with your back is awful. And so my goal very early on was to get a job where the only thing I moved was my pencil. And so college was, like, definitely in my sights. Um, and, and he also taught me, um, accountability. So there was a, there was a, we, we were, we were putting sod in the yard, the big yard. And before we lay down the sod, we put down natural fertilizer. You guys know what natural fertilizer is? <laughs> yep. Yeah. So 
he dumped about two tons of poop and I had a big tractor that I was spreading it with. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kind of moving through and the yard kind of sloped down to a serious slope. And I was like, man, if I don't push this with a tractor, then I got to push it with a shovel. So I kind of got, I got closer and closer to that slope. Uh-oh. Well, you know what happened? Like the tractor turned over. I jumped out, but the tractor went down the hill. And so my dad comes back and the tractor's down the hill. And he looks at the tractor, he looks at me, he looks at the track, and he was like, it's going to be really hard. And I said, yeah, getting that tractor out? He said, no, you spreading this shit with a shovel. <laughs> and I had to spread Sorry, the rest of that crap with a shovel, right? And yeah. I, I, it was underneath my fingernails for weeks. It was just, it was everywhere. Yeah. But that's all he said. We got it out. And the learning was, you know what? You make a mistake, you learn from a mistake, and you move on, right? There wasn't anything else. And I like that, too. And I use that a lot as I was leading, you know, big teams is like allow people to make mistakes as long as they learn from it and you can recover from mistakes. So I went to school at Florida and I studied business and Wait, hold for on. the last 30 30- before you go on to college, did you play sports in high school? Oh yeah. Sorry. Sorry. So, um, grew up doing all the sports. So soccer, basketball, uh, baseball, cross-country, track and field. So I was always doing something. I, I kind of landed on uh, track and um, baseball. So I played baseball through high school. I ran track through high school, mm-hmm. ran track for one year in college. And so had always been kind of athletic. And then kind of after I graduated, I played flag football. I played old man softball. Right. Um, I've always been a runner. So fitness has been a big part. What was your event in track? The 110 hurdles, the 300 hurdles, and then the 200 and the 400. So a sprinter, basically. Yeah. All right, go ahead, man. You're in college. Yeah. Now. Yeah, so I went to college to study business and um, and really at that point was focused on, look, I'm going to make money with my mind, not with my back. Um, mm-hmm. um, did a few internships, uh, General Electric, Monsanto, DuPont, and Arthur Anderson, and, and came out, did very well in college, um, was Work work came easy, but also I found it kind of fun to study. So I did well in college and and went out and and, and joined a consulting company. And and really, over my career, um, my I guess my 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 skill is kind of turnaround. So you give me a bad situation and I and I can fix it and and fix it either through really understanding the process or the systems or the people. But but I can. I can go into something that's broken and I can fix it. And, 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 it, and I've used kind of a couple, a couple tenets along the way. The first is, you know, hire great people. Right. And, and I will only hire someone who's smarter than myself. And so, um, I, what I want is for somebody in two or three years to come for my job. And I find that if you get folks who are smarter than yourself, like their work is going to be amazing. Now you have to be, really, really secure in your own skin and your own abilities to hire somebody who you know is smarter and is going to eventually show you up. But it's, in my mind, the only way to be successful. The second thing is to make sure that people, that I take care of my family first and they take care of their family first. Mm-hmm. Because I find that folks, if you allow folks to take care of their family, and, and take care of their family means, you know, paying them a fair wage, take care of their family means giving them time to do whatever they need to do to go to sporting events, to go to the doctor, 
to to be in those places where your kid is going to remember, right? I've done a lot of things over my career that I've forgotten, but I remember my daughter's first ballet recital. I remember, you know, the Christmas show. And I've been a dad who has made it to everything. Yeah. And I model that for my people, right? Listen, the most important thing to me is experience, is, is my family. The only reason I work is to give experiences for my family. Mm-hmm. And that's how I want everybody to think about it. And when you give them that freedom and, and even that respect, they do really, really great work. Um, the next piece is to empower people, right? I hire people who are really, really smart, and then I let them do their work. Mm-hmm. I'm not second-guessing them. I'm not watching I'm not telling them what to do. Um, a leader should give good people what they need, protect them, and, you know, give the guidance when they need it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, just let them go. And I think that when people have, when people feel empowered and they have autonomy, again, they do the best work. Um, the other thing is around mistakes, right? Give people the ability and the, and the permission to fail. So if you're going to make a big change, you've got to experiment. And when you experiment, you break stuff. And when you break stuff, now, at least in the finance world, when you break it, it's pretty easy to fix. Like, you know, I'm a finance person. I'm not a heart surgeon, right? I'm not like, hey, maybe we can connect this Schmoogleschnager here. <laughs> and the guy dies, right? Like, yeah. I'm trying to Never use the Schmoogleschnager. Yeah, bend a system or bend a process. And if it doesn't work, you fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, uh, and, and, and what I ask people is, listen, call me if you need help. Like, we can help with anything. We can fix anything soon enough. But even if it does break, like, bad news should travel fast. Um, and I, had a, I was at a company, a big company, and we had hooked up a new kind of system and process. And it was around payments. And I was, one Friday evening, I was sitting in my daughter's volleyball game, and one of my team members called me and said, hey, we have a problem. And I was like, yeah, the problem is you call me and I'm watching a volleyball game. He said, no, no, you really need to know about this. We sent out a half a billion dollars in overpayment by mistake. And I was like, okay. And I said, well, what is your plan? He said, my plan is to get it all back. And I said, when? And he said, money. And I said, okay, that sounds like a solid plan. And I went back to the game. So after that, I called my boss and I said, hey, how many scotches have you had? He said, two. And I said, well, call me back when you have four. He said, no, no, no. What is it? <laughs> and I told him, I said, I said, I sent out, I, not we, I sent out a half a billion dollars in error to our vendors. And he said, what are you going to do about it? And I said, I'll have it all back by Monday at noon. And he said, all right, have a good weekend. I didn't touch anybody for the weekend. I didn't call anybody for the weekend. We came in Monday morning. We did what we needed to do. We got it all back. And that was the last of it, right? And so having people feel safe to experiment and try things. And when you send out a billion dollars, no one freaks out. No one ruins their weekend. You just kind of walk through it. And so, and, and, I, and, I, and I told this story all over the company so people understood that this was real, right? Like you can make a massive mistake and come back for it and be congratulated. So I think those are a few things. And that's what's really helped me, quite frankly, win. In, in leading really big teams to do things they never thought possible. So I'm going to pause there. And yeah, did you, um, do you think uh, your, uh, your, the way you grew up, the way you described growing up and 
problem solving at that age? Anything that helped you to be good at that, you know, in your career? I think so. I think, again, um, it comes down to kind of um, basic respect, basic, basic personal interactions, right? Knowing kind of what motivates people. And I think motivation for a person who, a team you're working with to, you know, construct a picket fence mm-hmm. or a team you're working through to do a deal in Finland is kind of much the same, right? Mm-hmm. People want to feel empowered. People want to be able to do great work. People want to be able to express their ideas in a fearless manner and people want to win. And so I think it kind of transfers over. And I think that, um, you know, being put in some of the positions at a very young age really helped because I, you know, I had a, I had a perspective and I had kind of a, a, a bedside manner that has carried through. Mm-hmm. Excellent. All right. So, uh, so now, you, you know, you described kind of what your career was all about there. I know you did a lot of things. You're with a lot of companies and stuff, but how did you, um, did you take care of your body when you got out of college? Uh, most guys, yeah. you know, kind of let things go and stuff and then they have to come back. What was your experience? Yeah. So, um, came out of college as a young guy and it was, it was and I'm, I'm kind of meticulous with data. So I went and looked in, in 1995, when I graduated college, I was 166 pounds and I, no, yeah, 166 pounds. And I think about that now and I'm, I'm 174 pounds this morning. So, or yeah, this morning. So not a big change over. 30 years, 1994 is when I graduated. Um, But there certainly were some some ups and downs. Um, I think around my 30s when the kids started coming, you know, the flexibility wasn't as much to kind of stay fit. Um, When I I played a lot of golf when I was that age, you you don't really have to be too fit for golf. And then you tend to, whatever your kids don't eat, you tend to eat. You tend right. to kind of clean, not only your plate, but everybody's plate. Yeah, yeah, I did that. Um, yeah. And then um, and then there was a point where I was, you know, probably drinking too much bourbon and too much beer. And so um, around, it, it was probably when I was around about 40, um, I saw a picture. And I was like, who the hell is that? And they're like, that's you, right? And I was about 200 and seven pounds and like not in a good way. And so that picture was like, Hey man, you've let this go too long. And so I did a, um, a ketogenic program, right. Threw myself into ketosis for about three months. And I went from two Oh seven to, I think one sixty two. Oh boy. And so I was, yeah, oh boy, I was skinny. Right. And then once I got there, I said, I'm going to build myself back up, but I'm going to do it with muscle. And so I started seeing, um, working with a strength trainer Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for an hour. And we moved the, uh, 162 to about 180. Um, and I was feeling good back, kind of doing that consistent exercise as the sport was back. I was like a maniac on the flag football team because I'm so fast. Um, and at that point is when I really focused on the strength. And, and I've been consistently strength training with a person next to me kind of monitoring my forms and reps for, for 10 years. So frequency and consistency, I think, is what has been the key. Mm-hmm. Um, I lived in Vermont at that time. So we, we were working on kind of lifting heavy things. And so when I 
around 2019, I was about 200 pounds. I could deadlift 405. I could bench press 245, and I could squat, I don't know, something crazy. And then I moved down to Arkansas, and I was looking for a trainer, and I met a young guy, Zach Johansson, and saw him for the first time, and he said, what are your goals? And I said, I want to lift heavy weights, right? I want to deadlift 450. I want to bench press 275. And he's like, okay. He said, do you have a job where you have to move heavy things? And I was like, no, no, I'm an accountant. Mm-hmm. And he was like, okay. He said, do you enter competitions where you make money? And I said, no. So he said, well, do you want to be able to be in this gym when you're 70? And I said, yeah. He said, okay, well, we're going to re- we're going to change all this. And so what we decided to do was get down to medium weight and to get to something that can be sustainable. Mm-hmm. So we, we put together a program where I went from one eight from 200 to 180, moving much better weights, but look better, felt better. About the same time, I met a guy who was a, or he invited me to go on a bike ride. And I was like, well, I don't have a bike. And he said, well, I have a bike. And so we went, and he was a shorter guy. He was probably five foot six. I'm six one. We got his his road bike, and we put the seat up as high as it could go, and we went for a ride. Well, unbeknownst to me was how far the ride was. So at 25 miles, they turned around, uh-huh. and I was like, so if you would have told me, hey, man, we're going to go running for 10 miles, I would say, I can't run 10 miles. But I didn't know what a 50-mile cycling ride was until until I went 25, <laughs> and I knew I had to go back. Well, at about 30, they left me. I got lost. I finally got to about 45 miles, climbed a hill, and both of my legs cramped, and I was clipped in, and I just fell down uh-huh. in the middle of the street. and just lay there because I couldn't move my legs. Well, another guy rides up, and he looks, and he says, how long have you been down there? And I said, about five minutes. He said, okay, you have about five more. But let's scoot you out of this traffic. And then I got up and I rode back to the to the meeting place or whatever. Uh-huh. Well, that started kind of my cycling slash triathlon. So, so you, you love that so two, much you decided you were going to do more of it. <laughs> yep. I went and bought my own bike. And two months from that experience, I completed the Augusta 70.3 Ironman 70.3. Yeah. Just, so just, can you describe started, that? Because I don't know exactly what that means. Yeah, so, so Ironman 70.3 is 70.3 miles, yeah. So it's a 1.2-mile swim in a, in, a, in a lake or in a river. Uh-huh. So kind of we call it open water. A 56-mile bike and a 13.1 or half marathon run. Okay. So it's about a five to six-and-a-half-hour endeavor. Uh-huh. And in that particular day in – September it was a hundred degrees. Yeah. So the suffering was from the you know the moving through the exercise, but also the temperature. But it was great. I just like kind of doing doing the hard stuff. And then then I started training. I hired a coach and I started training. Um, you know, um, COVID hit, so that kind of knocked out the races. But we still kind of train, 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 and so. I've done four since Memphis twice, Tulsa once, and and just really enjoy it. And you know, I find that um, 
being fit allows you to kind of do anything that comes up, right? When when Lowe's called and said, hey, man, we're doing this relay and we might need you to run up a mountain, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I can run up a mountain because I'm always ready. Like, I didn't have to worry about going and training for it. And, you know, we've I've done 55-mile mountain bike races and backpacking trips and all that kinds of stuff. But, you know, what what I'm what I what I like the most, and my daughter is a is a fantastic soccer player. She plays on the club team. She plays a striker position. She's a mm-hmm. a goal scoring machine. But when there's the parents against kids, like you know, I'm the dad who can run up and down that field. Right. And there's not many of us right that can do that. Right. If you look yeah. around at your kid's dad, yeah, yep. And she gets she's proud of that. Right. They're like, man, your dad, he is just a beast. Right. And I think it's being able to do that but it's also being a role model for them that listen, you know, if you take care of yourself, then you can perform for a long time. That's right. Yeah. So you said, I forget where you said it, but uh, you, you said that, you know, you just keep yourself prepared so that you could handle anything that comes. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a tenet of F3. Uh, that's what it, one of the things F3 is all about is preparedness. And, you know, for, for anybody, most of our listeners are F3 guys, but if anybody's listening, that's not part of F3. One of the things that we do is we work out one of the rules is not rule, but uh, core principles is we have to everything. All the workouts have to be outside and they're hard workouts and they're usually almost always early in the morning. So uh, you're doing hard things every day. You're showing up. You don't know what the workout's going to be because unless you're the one that's leading it. So we take turns leading the workouts. So you're showing up. You don't know exactly what the workout's going to be. Could be raining, could be cold, could be really hot. Um, And so this that sort of experience of doing hard things uh a little bit of chaos involved it uh excuse me god bless you (laughs) it uh it helps prepare us for other things from you know not just physical things but when hard things come in life and the fellowship that's involved as well so you have brothers to walk alongside you so what you're describing is like exactly what f3 is all about yep yep absolutely so did you find an f3 group out there in arkansas yet there is, there's one here. I mean, it's literally two or three blocks from my house now. Oh, no excuse. Because of the, um, you know, because of the races I have coming up, like I'm on a pretty strict training regimen. I train about 19 hours a week, about three hours a day, a little more on the weekend. And, you know, strength Monday, Wednesday, and Friday with a coach and then very prescribed running, swimming, and biking, um, sessions kind of throughout the week so i need and i have my kind of my last race of the season the memphis 70.3 coming up early october and then i'll have some flexibility to kind of play around if you will yeah nice so that's all the ironman stuff but you say you also do 100 mile gravel grinders is that running, yeah, so running or biking that's biking so here in where i live in arkansas in benton county you probably have about a thousand miles of gravel road and gravel Gravel, cycle, gravel cycling has really taken off, especially down here. And for, there's a couple of benefits. The first is you're off the road with the cars, right? And yeah. you guys, anybody who runs those county people are on their phones, right? right. Yeah. And when you're running, it's okay because you're running towards the car and you can see them and jump off the road. But when you're riding, when you're cycling, you're cycling with traffic. So they're coming behind you. So when you get onto a gravel road, the cars drop off to like five, three to five percent of what you see on the road. Um, the other part is on gravel, like you're always pedaling. There's the coasting is not the same because of the friction under the tires. And right. so, so there's a lot of races in this area where 
I mean, 100 miles on the gravel is probably 150 on the road because it's so smooth. Um, so we have races like that. And, and we also have about 400 miles of single track or, or mountain bike trails. And so there's a lot of events where you, um, where you get out there and ride on your bike for 100 miles on the gravel takes about nine hours. So pedaling for nine hours, right? Oh boy. Um, 50 miles on the, on the mountain bike takes about 10 hours. Yeah. So that kind of stuff takes some, takes some fortitude and some resilience and some fitness just to kind of yeah. navigate those types of things, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. Dial-up's taking up, taking up mountain biking. Yeah. I, I mountain biked and, and did a lot of racing when I was young and t- you know, took, t- took a long break f- from it. Uh, you know, when kids came along and yeah, finally, finally bit the bullet, gave into, uh, some buddies that had been bugging me to come out and ride with them and went and made the commitment to buying a nice mountain bike. And, uh, we ride generally at least once a week now and i missed it you know it's a uh, mountain biking it's a it's a it's a lot of fun it's a lot of it's a, it's a yeah. good, good sport great exercise um you know back to you know challenging me a little bit to get used to you know bombing down the trails yeah. and steep descents and technical trails and not fearing crashing yeah uh, yeah yeah and there's something peaceful about being in, in the woods and nature right That's yeah. also I always tell people, look up, make sure you look up after you, I know you're tired after climbing the hill, but look at that valley, right? Like that's your reward is the view. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah like mm-hmm. we said at, uh, when we were wrapping up the uh, Blue Ridge Relay uh, podcast, the la- last interview around the table, uh, I lamented my three legs not being very scenic. And of course, dial said, you got to climb the mountain if you want to get the view. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I still think that should be a t-shirt, but, uh, uh, but that's work. true, right? You can work on that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. So um, when you were getting, when we were trying to give you the name in the circle of trust, um, you mentioned your, you wanted to, and, and you said it here, you want to be uh, happy, healthy, active, alert, and content as a nonagenarian. So yeah. why don't you describe that so to na- people? Yeah. Yeah. So nonagenarian is 90 years old, right? So yep. I believe that I'm going to make it somewhere into the nineties. And you know, making it to 90 is not the only goal, right? right? Being able to be 90 years old and kind of walk around the block, right, is important. Being able to be 90 years old and being able to have a conversation with my great grandkids, right? That's what's important. And I think at 50, kind of setting myself up is, you know, trying to put on and hold on to as much muscle as possible, right? At this time, we're over right now muscle is going to start falling off. Right. So yeah. like every day yes. is a battle to kind of hold it on. Right. Um, and being continuing to be flexible, continuing to be able to, you know, move cardiovascularly, et cetera, prevention, prevention, prevention. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of, you know, that's the, the kind of healthy, um, and the content is kind of like being okay with what you have. Right. If you're okay, if you if you if you if you're okay with with what you have, you'll always have enough, right? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you're not okay with what you have, you'll always want more, right? So right. being content with like this is what it is, and this is what I've done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's great when you have a family or children because, I mean, of all the things I've done, right? I'm most proud of being a dad, a father, right? Yeah. And, and making or raising kind of healthy, happy human beings is like, I feel like I'm the richest person in the world. And if you can have your mindset there versus what kind of car you have or how your house is or all this other, you know, crap, 
and it takes a lot of stress off and you can just, you know, have those memories, right? Create those memories and have those memories. Cause when we get to that time, that's what we're going to have left, right? Chilling on my porch, rocking in my chair. Yeah. It's thinking about, you know, the experiences, right? The Blue Ridge relay and, you know, the kids graduated from college and, you know, those types of things are the things that are really, really important. And it's easy to become lost in that is like, you know, what is, what is value, right? Yeah. And I think it's easy to become lost that, you know, things are value versus kind of memories. And I think that's all we're going to be left with is our memories. And so what I've tried to do is I'll try to hold on to my, you know, health and mobility as long as possible, but I'm maniacal about kind of creating those memories now. So I'll have them later. Yeah, that's really good, man. I, um, you know, I, I don't think I'll make 90. Uh, so I'm trying to get all that memories in as quickly as I can. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know, the important thing, as you said, is we got to take care of our bodies and, and that includes our mind. And a lot of studies out there that the more physically active you are, the more fit you are, the less likely you're going to develop Alzheimer's and dementia and things like mm-hmm. that. But you also got to yeah. continue to read and, uh, and, uh, you know, train your mind as well. So yep. that's good stuff, man. I, now you and I talked, I think, um, when you were in the circle of trust, I mentioned Peter Atia's book outlive, which by the bit, by the way, would have been a great name for you outlive. I think that would have been a good name. Yeah. You know, you're sitting here now with all these names. You sure didn't have all those names there. <laughs> I you did. I actually did. Well, I threw out Goggins. It got shot down, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> that was too easy. I think if I, no, if I do this again, I would have made it go through the whole weekend before we did this, right? It's not something that should be taken lightly. If you're going to call me this for the next 45 years, because I'm going to live to be 95, <laughs> yeah. then I think there should have been more thought. So right. take that back as a suggestion box. Well, you can uh, you could uh, post at your local F3 workout, and you could ask for a name change. And yeah, you know, they can give you a new name. Let us know how that works right. out yeah. for you. Let's see. <laughs> very interested to see how that goes. <laughs> so did, I can't remember. Did you read that book, Outlive, by Peter Atiyah? Oh, you listen to his podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. So I'm a big fan of Peter Atiyah's podcast and listen to that. And I'm, a, um, you know, obviously, if I'm trying to get to 95, I'm really focused on longevity. Right. Um, sleep is a huge one for me, and I've read a lot of books on sleep. Yeah. Um, and so I, I. I really like, I like the conversations that he have. I like the technical natures of his podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, I've liked the fact that I've used his knowledge to go and demand CTA scans and other things from my doctor who otherwise wouldn't do it because mm-hmm. they take a look at me and say, oh, you're fit. You can't have a problem. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. You can't see inside me unless you're some sort of special doctor with x-ray eyes, right? <laughs> um, so I think that um, he's done a great job of bringing kind of, fairly technical knowledge to the masses in a, um, in a clear manner. Huberman has done the same thing, right? I mean, to make that available and that's, what's just fantastic. Um, so, um, I think that it's, it's all there, right? It's the choices we make now that are going to determine, you know, how long we're going to make it and what that, what that quality is really going to be. Right. Um, but I think that, I mean, people should move every day, right? Just move every day. Mm-hmm. Try to eat things that you can picture your great grandmother being able to make in her kitchen, and spend time with people you love. Like if you do that, I think you'll add fifteen years. That's very simple, right? Yeah. No, that's good. That's really good. I, you know, so Peter Tia. For those that don't know, he's a physician. He was a surgeon, a surgical oncologist, 
uh, and uh, he trained at Hopkins. And he ended up going uh, developing a practice where he tries to help people uh, live longer, better. And he has a word for it. It's not longevity, but I forget what it is. Not wellness, something else. But anyway, shows you how my, my brain is. But um, but he talks about medicine today being reactive. So, you know, you, you, oh, you have a disease, we'll treat it rather than... And and, uh, and I can tell you that most, all physicians out there would love their patients to be uh, doing pre- preventive medicine, but getting people to do it is a hard thing. But, uh, but, sure. yeah, but that's his big push is to not... not start when you're 50, but you know, start when you're 20 and figure this stuff out. Yep. And, uh, yeah, no, it's good stuff, man. There's no money to be made in healthcare for preventative medicine, right? Well, there that's is not. one of the issues. <laughs> yeah. That is, that, is, that is certainly yep. uh, one of the issues. There's a lot more money to be made on a stent than there is on teaching somebody how to eat well. That's right. right. And, and it's know? hard to, um, I don't know, but you know, if you're a healthy 45 year old and you're doing Ironmans and stuff like that, and you have no symptoms. I don't know the whole thing and every, every company's probably different, but it'd be hard, probably hard to get insurance to pay for, you know, some tests because, yeah. you know, you gotta have a reason for it. Right. And not just a what, what I found though, is that those tests, you, first you gotta ask how much it is, right? Like yeah. a CT, a, a calcium scan, which is a good indicator is, a couple hundred bucks, right? A nice dinner, right? Yeah. So it's kind of... Well, I don't know what I restaurant you're going to. <laughs> was had to say, hey, okay, doctor, I know insurance won't pay for it, but how much is it going to be, right? So right. at least you have a perspective yeah. of what we're talking about, right? Yep. yep. Um, so, and, and I think the advice I would give anybody is just because your doctor says no doesn't mean you have to take no for an answer, yep. right? Yep. I mean, you're respons- You're ultimately responsible for your own care, right? And so, you know, get them to do it or go get another doctor, right? right. It's, it's that's kind of how I would. Yeah, yeah you're gonna. Get- oh, that's how I approach it, right? I'm responsible, and yeah. so. Yeah, you're gonna get me started down the, like the the frustrations of right. You can you can go have a calcium scoring done and you pay for it yourself at the local mall or or uh, you know some other imaging place and they charge you seventy five bucks, a hundred bucks to have it done, right? But mm-hmm. you have that yep. exact same scan done, <laughs> right? And it's charged how much yeah. to your insurance company? You know, right, tri- triple that. Uh, anyway, our yeah. healthcare systems. That, it's broken. Very, it's well, it is, but it's, it's complicated <laughs> too because. If you get a CAT scan in the hospital, you're not just paying for the for the CAT scan. You're paying for the people that sweep the floors and the people that run the machine and the people that yeah, you know. Okay, so go to an out, the linens. So just go to an outpatient imaging site. And I, I don't know. Last year, I don't insurance. know. I just, I just, know. And, I can, and, I, and I could tell you what what is submitted as a bill to the insurance company. You never get. I know. So I know. it's you know, mm-hmm. there's, sure. it's complicated, and I don't understand it completely. So. I don't know, but uh, all right, we'll move on. We ain't going to solve that here today. Hey, I did want to (laughs) ask. Hey, I did want to ask you, Poser, what's your body body battery at, brother? Brother. Oh, let me look at this. Um, uh, The body battery is found on a Garmin app. We had this discussion (laughs) over the weekend. I know. Yeah, I'm not getting enough sleep because I was like, I think my high for like ever was like 73 or something like that. Poser's like, well, I'm in the 90s all the time because he must get better. Yeah, rest. no, right now it's in the eighth and eighty, and <laughs> yeah, look, look, sleep. Look, the most important thing. I think the most important thing in all this is no. Yeah, it's at eighty right now. The most important thing is sleep, right? If you and I, what I try to do is set myself up for eight hours a night. 
Um, and that usually means going to bed. That means that means winding down at nine thirty and like trying to be out by ten o'clock because I have to get up at six to go to the gym. Now, my wife is a um, she's a night owl, right? And so what? she's got this. <laughs> Why is it that you, always they always come together, right? The morning know, the morning time, guy and the night you know, owl they always match yeah. up. And <laughs> if I ever do this again, you know, you come back and it's. I'm going to say, hey, are you an early riser or are you a late riser? Now I do the thing I have at that first pizza night, right? Like, there's yeah. other important questions to ask. Yeah, my wife's a night owl, too, and I'm an early riser. So, But we've learned to live with it now, so it's okay. Yeah. I'm going to bed. She's like, oh, I knew it. You're not going to fix her. You're just going to F3 tomorrow. That's where you're going to bed early. Yeah. yeah. Well, right, right. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> but, um, so, I shut, so I go down with a face mask, right, to black out the, to block out whatever she's watching in the lights. Uh-huh. And now I put in earplugs to block out the sound, the sound, and I'm able to kind of mm-hmm. shut it down, and it, it, it works you well. Need, you need to tell her to go to the living room and watch that television. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, <I'm> not, <laughs> that's not going to work. Yeah. I talk tough, but, but not to her. But DFib said, not me. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well. Um, yeah, we all have this. That's a, that's a common issue, I think, Yeah, you know, but whatever. Um, that's good stuff, brother. Uh, I really appreciate, uh, all this. Uh, this is really good information for folks out there and for guys who learn to live better and, uh, and to lead better. Um, I have my final two questions, unless you have something more dial up. I haven't thought of anything here. All right, Poser, before I ask you the last two questions, uh, that we usually mm-hmm. ask our guests, uh, do you have anything else you, you want to uh, mention? No, I think that, you know, we talked about a lot of good stuff. So, yeah, this is a great idea. Thanks, you guys. Thank you guys for doing this. Yeah, Poser's not uh, shy. Uh, so this was, we knew this was going to be good. And, and we knew that he was an accomplished man. He's, he's a high-impact man. He was busting so, on me when we'd have the meetings, like, we're drifting, we're drifting. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the agenda? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the first question, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. But if you were to pick somebody, it could be somebody from the distant past, somebody present somebody you know somebody you don't know who would you pick as somebody that's sort of been your inspiration your hero that kind of thing yeah no i think i mean i spoke about it earlier right my dad is yeah. kind of yeah. the person that i look to and he uh you know he passed away just about a year ago october 31st 2022 which was really hard but mm-hmm. he has been kind of you know whatever my north star right he and, and for all the things I said, right, he raised a family, he took care of us, he taught us, he kind of, you know, gave me a lot of the tools to, that allowed me to be successful and, and look, was very patient with, because I made a lot of mistakes in my youth as well, but he was very patient and guiding us, though. He was, he was been, it's, it's, he's been, a, he was a wonderful father, a wonderful man. Yeah, sounds like he was patient. You tipped the tractor yeah. in the poop. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That was kind of one of the least, minor infractions ideas <laughs> yeah. yeah and it right. sounds like your kids got to spend some get to get to spend some time with him and experience yep. with him as well which is i'm sure meant a lot to you yeah how Absolutely. old was he when he passed away 75 all right yep um the last question is this is your chance to speak to the men of america what's your message for the men of america yeah i think um look Take care of yourself. Take care of your family, and I think content is the is is huge, right? A lot of our a lot of our stress, a lot of our frustration is just we're not we're not satisfied with what we have, and so 
I would say, you know, really reflect on what you have and, um, and, and what, what is truly special to you. And I think if you can kind of wrap that around, you know, a great family and, um, and a great situation, mm -hmm. um, I think that will be huge and, and kind of, you know, get away from kind of the other stuff. And it doesn't matter what your neighbor has, right? It's what you have. Mm -hmm. And if you can kind of tie your, tie your happiness around the memories and experiences you create in the wonderful human beings that, you know, either you create or around you, I think it, it really changes the perspective. That's yeah, good, man. Good stuff, yeah. Yeah. Be content. It's like the apostle Paul says, he's content in all circumstances. Yep. Yep. Um, that's great. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And you're obviously, um, doing the right thing. You raised, uh, you're raising good, good kids, accomplished kids so far. And, uh, I really like the uh, message of, uh, appreciate your family and your relationships because that's what it's, yep. you know, your relationship with God Absolutely. first and then with others. And that's, that's, that's when you could become a servant leader. There you go. All right. So, you know, dial up. I think we just spoke to another high impact man. Yeah, we did. Definitely spoke to another high impact man. And yeah, great, great having you on brother. It was great meeting you this weekend and, and spending some time with you. Absolutely. Sounds like it would have been fun. All right, to be guys. A, sounds like it would have been fun to be in the van with you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. We never asked what still, happened between you still, and Strudel. Yeah. We're trying to figure out this oh, whole beard Strudel thing, but <laughs> yeah, no, I think next year, I think it's interesting because there was this whole van one, van two thing in the New Jersey guys and the other guys. And maybe, maybe you mix that up, right? That would be interesting because it was hard. I mean, we spent a few minutes in the house together, right? But yeah. I think the van was, it was interesting. So <laughs> yeah, the van is where it's at. Yeah. That was the first year we had. That, yeah, yeah. That was the first year we had that clean split. We've always had a little bit of, yeah, of mix mixing, but just the yeah. way it worked out with the numbers this year, it kind okay. of it, yeah, yeah. It made sense, but yeah, we'll, we'll split yeah. it up next time. Yeah. Yep. All right, Great. brother. Well, you be good. Go All right, enjoy your family. Hey. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care, yeah. brother. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high-impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week. And you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.